TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joe Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Good Monday morning, everybody. This is Two Guys in the Mic, TalkZone.com. My name is Jordan Burnfield. I'm filling in for the coach and the big dog. Great weekend in sports. The NCAA Tournament's Final Four has been set, and it would only be fitting that on the weekend in which they find the four teams that will be descending upon Indianapolis, one of the teams hails from Indy, and the other three teams, great storylines. This tournament has been absolutely fantastic, and I want to talk about it with you. 888-463-6748, go for it. If you want to go at the letters over the numbers, if you want to send me a Facebook message, I'm signed on. Search for Jordan Burnfield. We can be friends. We can talk on Facebook. I'll put your... Comments on the air, 888-463-6748. Great weekend in the NCAA tournament, but as we head towards the Final Four, we're getting towards baseball season. We're getting towards crunch time. We're in crunch time now with the NHL, the NBA. If you live in Chicago like I do, you're probably now pretty panicked about the Blackhawks, right? Back-to-back losses to the Columbus Blue Jackets, the team with the second-least points in the West. And you're trying to earn the top seed in the conference. But right now, the Blackhawks, five points behind San Jose. They've still got eight games left. San Jose only has six games left. But, boy, Blackhawks losing. First, they get blown out, 8-3. to few nights ago in Columbus, Cristobal Huey was god-awful. You say, okay, that was just a bad game. They'll rebound. They'll play better at home. Then they go out last night and lose at home to the freaking Jackets again. 888-463-6748. So I have three questions for Blackhawk fans, too, on this show today. Are you, A, still blindly confident with your head in the sand, hoping that Once the postseason comes, that things will turn around and that cup run we were all dreaming of about two months ago is still going to happen. Are you, B, cautiously excited, still feeling that this team still has great forwards and great defensemen they are in the middle of a rut right now, but they can turn it around, a la the 2005 White Sox that kind of stumbled into the postseason and then stormed through winning 11 of 12 games and winning the World Series? Or are you see the deranged Cub fan turned Hawk fan, like my father is, who has already written off the Blackhawks? Well, at least baseball season's next week, he says to me last night. 888-463-6748. And if you're a Bulls fan, Bulls fans, I'm here for you today. I haven't given up completely on the NBA. I watched about 60 seconds of last night's game. If you're a Bulls fan... Bulls are only two and a half games out of the eighth seed. 
Do you want to get pummeled by Cleveland, or would you rather have a lottery pick? 888-463-6748. To be honest with you, and I know that some people would hammer me for this opinion, I would rather not make the playoffs. I don't see any benefit to the Bulls making the playoffs this year. Last year, you could say it was good for Derrick Rose in his first season to make the playoffs. The playoffs did wonders for the development of Joakim Noah. I'll give you all that. This year's team, would it be nice for a guy like Taj Gibson? Sure. James Johnson's useless anyway. It doesn't matter. But to make the playoffs this year, just to get hammered by Cleveland, at least last year when the Bulls made it, Boston was without Kevin Garnett. There was a snowball's chance that the Bulls could actually come out of that series. They didn't, but they had a chance. This year, I don't see any scenario in which the Bulls win a game. Really, could the Bulls win one game against Cleveland in the postseason? I don't see it. 888-463. 6748. Jordan Burnfield with you here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. But I want to talk about this NCAA tournament. It's been so good. And a question I have for those of you listening out there is, do you think this is the best NCAA tournament that you have ever watched? I'm young. I'm 24 years old. In my lifetime, My favorite NCAA tournament coming into this one was the one in which George Mason reached the Final Four. Florida won the national title. It was an amazing NCAA tournament. So many great upsets. I just, that tournament coming in was the best. And I know that those of you who listen to this show say, well, why wasn't the one when Syracuse won the championship in 2003? I didn't go to Syracuse yet. So I didn't appreciate them winning the national title the way I would now if they had won and not completely choked their brains out against Butler. But this year's tournament might be better. And obviously we'll have to see what happens in the Final Four. One of the amazing things to me, folks, is that Duke reached the Final Four. Because wouldn't it be more appropriate if a one seed didn't make it this year. Isn't it kind of amazing that a one seed actually did reach the Final Four? You saw Kansas lose in the second round. You saw Syracuse go out in the Sweet 16. You saw the other one seed go out. I mean, all the one seeds did not perform very well in this NCAA tournament. But Duke makes it all the way there. 888-463-6748. It's been an amazing, amazing, amazing NCAA tournament. It really has been. How could anyone not love Tom Izzo, first of all? You got Michigan State, you got Butler, you got West Virginia, you got Duke. Since 1999, Michigan State has reached the Final Four six times. Six times. A lot of times when you ask people who the best coach in college basketball is, unequivocally they tell you Mike Krzyzewski, Duke. Roy Williams, North Carolina. 
I think that there's a great argument here to be made for Tom Izzo. And some of you are going to sit here and say, well, no kidding. Obviously, Tom Izzo is one of the great coaches. But a lot of times, Tom Izzo gets overlooked, does he not? Tom Izzo has done an outstanding job at Michigan State. If I was a Michigan State fan, you think about how hard it is, first of all, to get to the NCAA tournament and how hard it is to win in the NCAA tournament. Okay, If I was a Duke fan, I would not have seen Duke reach the Final Four since 2004. That's six years ago. That's a lengthy period of time for Duke. Okay, I'm not saying that Duke hasn't won a bunch. They obviously have. But my point is, one of the perennial great programs, one of the top five college basketball programs that exists, hasn't been to the Final Four in six years until they reached it yesterday by beating Baylor. And you look right now at Michigan State, they, every year, it doesn't matter whether they're the number one team in the country, whether they're the 25th team in the country, wherever Michigan State is, as long as they are one of the at-large 30-something teams that reaches the NCAA tournament, Tom Izzo finds a way to get this team deep in the tournament every year. This guy is... Honestly, I can't think of a better coach for the tournament than Tom Izzo. I know that he hasn't won as many national championships as has Shashevsky, But Tom Izzo is just a machine in this tournament. Kalen Lucas got hurt. Michigan State was supposed to be done. It's like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter what's going on out there. Michigan State finds a way to win every year. This team lost Kalen Lucas during the season. They had other injuries. They kind of fell out of the top five. They were hovering somewhere in the top 25 all season. They had some losses that people questioned. It's like if I'm a Michigan State fan, I kind of just know whatever happens during the season that we're making a run in the tournament. It would really spoil me because... Is somebody who went to Syracuse. Syracuse is in the top five all-time in NCAA Division I wins, okay? One of the most successful programs ever in college basketball. They've been to the Sweet 16 a couple of years in a row. Before that, they hadn't won an NCAA tournament game. Not one tournament game in four years didn't make the tournament in two of those years. Okay, that's Syracuse. That's one of the most powerful college basketball programs in America. You look at Michigan State. Six Final Fours in the last 11 years. That is amazing stuff. Tom Izzo deserves all the credit in the world. And if Michigan State wins the national championship this year, we got to start talking about where Tom Izzo ranks in terms of the greatest basketball coaches who has ever lived. Now, he's in that list right now, but if he wins the national championship this year, without his best player on the floor in the final four games of the tournament, we got to start reevaluating where Tom Izzo fits in the top three, four college basketball coaches ever. 888-463. 
Jordan Burnfield with you here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com, filling in for the coach and the dog. What a story it is, too, for the Butler Bulldogs. Chicagoans out there, I have a question for you, okay? Because I know that we have listeners in you know all parts of the world, except for certain areas, fill in the coach punchline here. But obviously we know many of our listeners hail from the great Windy City. Are you rooting, first of all, for Duke? Mike Krzyzewski, Chicago guy. John Shire, maybe you hate him because he spurned Illinois. He didn't really spurn Illinois, folks. He picked the better program. Okay, can you really blame him? Blame Bruce Weber for not be able, not being able to recruit a guy that is being coached by his brother. Okay, Dave Weber's the coach at GBN. Blame Bruce Weber for not getting that gimme recruit. Don't blame Shire. But are you rooting for Shire? Are you rooting for Duke? Or do you love to hate Duke? Secondly, are you rooting for the Butler Bulldogs? Not quite local, Indianapolis, not Chicago, but a few hours away. Are you rooting for Butler? Butler gets to play in the Final Four for the first time in school history. The first time a Horizon League program, since the conference has been called the Horizon League, has reached the Final Four. And they're doing it in their home city. What an amazing story. This is why you have to love this tournament. You can get stories like this. This is an incredible, incredible story to me. Now, they're not playing it at Hinkle Fieldhouse, so you can save your Hoosiers references for another time. That is where Butler plays its home games. Could you imagine if it was played at Hinkle, by the way? But... Lucas Oil Stadium, 70-plus thousand people. When Butler takes the court at 5.07 Central Time on Saturday, that place is going to be filled with Navy and white Butler Bulldog faithful. And let me just say this, too, about Tom Izzo. I'll take this one step forward. If they beat Butler in that setting, That's basically winning a road game. You can throw out the whole neutral site crap, okay? That is winning a road game in the Final Four trying to get to the national championship. That would even add more to the lore of Tom Izzo, if it's even possible to do so. But Brad Stevens, this guy, this guy is going to be a rock star. Good-looking, 33 years old, young coach, in his first three years at Butler, has won more games than nearly any coach has ever won in his first three games at a particular school. Takes his underdog, feel-good story, best-of-the-horizon league, Butler Bulldogs. And I know that some people out there have said, well, they're not an underdog, they were a top-ten team. Did you think they were going to the Final Four? End of the story. Okay, nobody did. So the fact that they're going to the Final Four, With this guy, they've got these players that play a a very disruptive system, defensive-minded, hard-nosed. None of their recruits are these top superior athletes out of high school. Gordon Hayward turned down some major programs to play at Butler. That was a great recruiting effort by Brad Stevens. But you look at that team, you're not looking at a team like a Kansas was or a a Syracuse or these... Physically superior 
athletes going up against Butler. I mean, that's that's Butler is is not quite the team athletically that some of these other teams were. But they are hard-nosed, they're hard-working, and this guy, Brad Stevens, if I'm the athletic director at Butler, I am offering this man a blank check right now. Brad, I know that every school in the country is going to be hot after you no matter what happens next weekend. Here is a check. You fill in the total, and you can be our coach at Butler for as long as you want. You can't let this guy go, Butler, because Brad Stevens is all of a sudden going to be the hot name to replace any major coach that gets fired from here on out. With the job this guy has done, you think about what would happen, and maybe it will be the case now that Brad Stevens is going to be able to recruit the players, that the, you know, the top of the top athlete players to go to Butler. You know, Mark Few at Gonzaga has has erased the whole Cinderella thing, and now they really have started to get some of the top athletes in the country to go to school there. I don't know if Brad Stevens is going to do that, but my point is is that if you are Butler, you got to be giving Brad Stevens his due monetarily because this guy, this guy has rock star college basketball coach written all over him. He is the full package. And if I'm Butler, I want to keep keep my program where it's at. I give him whatever he wants. 888-463-6748. Bob Huggins and the West Virginia Mountaineers heading to the NCAA's Final Four. We'll talk about that team. We'll also talk about a hockey story not involving the Blackhawks later on in the show that I think the NHL is missing the boat on again. That's coming up here on Two Guys and a Mic. Jordan Burnfield filling in for the coach and the dog right here on TalkZone.com.
Two guys in the mic, TalkZone.com. I'm Jordan Burnfield filling in for the coach and the big dog. That's the big dog, Joel Radwanski, not the big dog, Glenn Robinson. I don't know where I saw Glenn Robinson recently, but I saw him in some... They did some top ten plays thing on SportsCenter recently. Top, maybe it was top ten plays the NCAA tournament, and big big dog Glenn Robinson got into one of the highlights. Think about two people that couldn't be more markedly different from each other. The big dog Glenn Robinson and the big dog Joel Radwanski. But they both share the same great nickname. But I'm filling in for both of them today, talking NCAA tournament. Who are you rooting for in the Final Four? If you live in Chicago, if you live anywhere else, 888-463-6748. If you're from this area, there are some local tie-ins here. Are you rooting for John Shire, the Northbrook native, and Mike Krzyzewski, the Chicago boy? Or can you not stand Duke so much you hate those? Uh, what are the stereotypes of Duke? Rich, arrogant, white kids? Did I Did I get that about right? You know what? Let me just say this quickly about Duke. I don't want to get into an entire rant about the Duke Blue Devils. But for all those people that hate Duke, when do Duke players ever get in trouble? When does Duke ever have violations? When does Duke ever disgrace its university with some kind of computer-stealing scandal like all these other schools do? Why is it that college athletes seem to never be able to get their hands on computers unless they swipe them? Don't universities have computer labs? Don't college athletes get computers given to them? Why are college kids always stealing computers or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is? Duke players are never in trouble. They have a clean program for the most part. I can't think of the last time Duke players disgraced their university. Furthermore, I can't remember Mike Krzyzewski being ever in the middle of some long investigation into his program. And Duke wins. They're good. They seem to do it the right way. And unless somebody knows something that I don't know, I don't know why people hate Duke so much. I respect the heck out of Duke. I've always liked Duke. Why? I mean, listen, I understand that they're easy to hate, but I don't understand why so many people hate them. I don't know why more people don't respect them. I guess it's sort of like the Yankees. I mean, maybe the Yankees have been mired in controversy for a while now with the whole steroids thing, but, you know, the Yankees, they used to do it the right way for the most part. They wanted to win, but I guess you hate teams that win every year. I get that, but shouldn't we have some respect for Duke basketball? I mean, you look at some of the other good programs in the country. UConn seems to always be in some kind of scandal. You look at Michigan and football or basketball, they've always got some problem. And you look at some of the top programs in the country, you can always say, yeah, well, they won, but any team ever coached by John Calipari has probably had the nets pulled down at some point. The banners have been coming off the ceiling. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't really win that championship fairly. We kind of cheated on everyone on the roster, except the walk-ons. The walk-ons were allowed. But see, to me, you got to give Duke a little more credit. Duke wins the right way. Duke does things the right way. I'm not going to root against Duke. 
888-463-6748, the phone number. JB in with you instead of Coach and the Dog, who are off today. The other team we really haven't talked about is West Virginia. And look at that West Virginia club. I mean, that's a team that Bob Huggins said before the tournament, I don't know if we can score enough points to make it to the Final Four. Well, three of the top four teams in points allowed in the NCAA tournament are in the Final Four. Duke, West Virginia, Butler. West Virginia, boy. I mean, talk about a team that didn't really get respected that much. You know, everyone was talking about Syracuse and how good they were. So was I because I had my head in the sand as a Syracuse fan. West Virginia goes out, they win the Big East tournament, and they have not looked back. Now they're in the Final Four. As a Cuse fan, it kind of bothers me because you're kind of, your job description as a Syracuse fan is to hate West Virginia, but that team, that team is doing work. Team is in the Final Four taking on Duke. Michigan State and Butler. The other thing too about this tournament, you're going to have a five seed reaching the national championship game regardless. It's awesome. You know who's on the phone line right now? The big dog is on the line, but it's not Glenn Robinson. It's Joel the big dog Radwanski. What's up, Joel? Uh, what's up, Jordan? I'm glad I'm, I'm not the big dog Glenn Robinson, even though a $68 million contract for doing nothing would have been nice. I was just going to say, could you be doing better than the big dog Glenn Robinson? I mean, listen, the guy didn't have a really great career in the NBA, but he's rolling in his dough right now. Yeah, I really shouldn't rip anybody that, you know, I would, I would love to be a really bad basketball player getting paid millions of dollars right now. I'd have no problem with that, Jordan. I mean, think about some of these guys, big dog, that have played professional sports and weren't even really that good, but they have so much money from playing professional sports that they're like 43 and retired and fishing every day. Yeah, like most of them, 95% of those guys are like, uh, professional football or basketball players who were first-round picks and didn't pan out. And you're like, wow, this guy got $15 million guaranteed. But there's stories like John Konchak, who everybody knew was horrible. Somebody still gave him $11 million. So, I know. You know I mean, there's always stories like that. Think about these left-handed relievers in Major League Baseball. Like, How much money do you think Mike Remlinger made over his career? Not well, getting people out. And, he, and he's got to have made $20, 30000000 million in his career. Easily, because he pitched for 15 years. So in the last couple of years of his career, he was making like $2 million a season. It's unbelievable. Which is unbelie- and he was a lefty who couldn't get lefties out. It, it made no sense. I know. He was, he, was, he was a lefty that threw to right-handers. That's really useful in a bullpen. And he got and he made all that money. Uh, Joel, this, this NCAA tournament, are you with me that this might be the best tournament you've seen? I, I mean, the only one I can think of that might be better as a young person is that one a few years ago with George Mason reaching the Final Four. The the 2006 uh, tournament. Right. And, uh, yeah, I didn't even get to see those semifinal games. That was the the night of my wedding, which that didn't last very long. The wedding lasted a lot longer than the marriage. Okay, so I don't remember the <laughs> semifinal games. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, I, I, that particular year, I was so busy with my wedding, I, I was kind of pulled away. I will tell you this. I'm a diehard Illinois fan, and Illinois was not in the tournament this year. So I, it's, I, I can look at it without – having my team in there, and I'm going to have to agree with you. These games have been unbelievable. Tennessee's in the Final Four. Their last two games, they won by a total of two points. You mean Michigan State? It's been like games like this the whole time. Yeah, you mean Michigan State. Tennessee getting knocked out by Michigan State yesterday. Yeah, but, I mean, this, uh, you're right. I just, you know, in 2006, 
I know that I think Syracuse lost in the first round to Texas A&M. That was that was 2006. So, you know, my team was out very early in that tournament, and I still loved it. To me, you know, the people there are people out there that will say, "Oh, well, I can't watch the rest of the tournament now because my team got knocked out, and I'm bitter." Those are people that are not sports fans. Okay, if you're a sports fan, right? If, if you're a, if you're a if you're a sports fan, if you're a college basketball fan, whether or not your team wins. There is nothing better than this tournament, and especially this year. Every game, like you said, they all go down to the wire. They Every game has gone down to the wire. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. And I understand, like, there have been days where Illinois was knocked out of the tournament. I just say it was, like, a you know Saturday at 1 o'clock and it was the second round. I had to turn the TV off the rest of the day. But by Sunday, I was over it, and I was back to watching the game. Because I, I do take those losses a little hard. You know what I mean? Oh, so, listen, Thursday night after Syracuse lost to Butler, I was distraught. But then you had this Kansas State Xavier game that was on that was also unbelievable, and I I couldn't turn it off. It was like the last thing I wanted to do was watch a basketball game. But when you see Crawford and Holloway and these guys draining these 35-foot threes and Gus Johnson nearly exploding out of my TV set, I couldn't really turn it off. Uh well, when Gus Johnson's calling a game, it is hard to call off and or turn off. And don't you think he should be the number one team, or at least the number one anchor over Jim Nance? I know Jim Nance is the man, and he's CBS's number one guy. But let him do other stuff. When it comes to the NCAA basketball tournament, I think they got to move Gus Johnson up to the number one seat because the man is, I think, the best basketball play-by-play guy right now going. You know, it's, it's an interesting point. I've heard other people say this. Let me just tell you this about uh, Gus Johnson, Joel. To okay. me, if he's calling an upset bid, Gus Johnson is the best. If okay. you've got if you've got Butler taking out Syracuse, if you've got like a five seed losing to a twelve, or a, yeah, five seed losing to a twelve, or a four losing to a thirteen, there's nobody you want more than Gus Johnson. But if it's a blowout and the top seed is going to win, Gus Johnson get ex- gets exposed. For being an underprepared broadcaster who is an entertainer. If you okay. watched any of that Syracuse Gonzaga game, Syracuse is up by 30 points in the second half, and Gus has nothing to say. I mean, he's not screaming, he's not going nuts because Syracuse is torching Gonzaga, and it became a very boring broadcast for the second half. So yeah, while I, I love Gus, but it's got to be a good game for Gus to shine. You know, you know that's gonna be that's probably a good point because I haven't like every game he called with Illinois. If it was a blowout, I never really noticed that because he does the Big Ten Network game, and I usually am not watching blowouts at that point. I will try to find other things to do with my life, which there isn't much, but I try to. <laughs> you're looking for something. Yes, yes, always. Yeah, no, but I mean, to me, you're right. I mean, listen, there's nobody that is more exciting than Gus Johnson in a great game. That game, that Kansas State Xavier game. I honestly thought that either his head was going to explode and the TV was going to go black, or that Gus was literally going to jump through my TV set and like pull me through some kind of force to Salt Lake City for that game. Yeah, he he does have a he does bring out the excitement. There's no doubt about it. That it seems like if you're watching the game, everybody in the room is excited when you're watching the guy. So yeah, he's. I mean, he is just—he's tremendous when he's good. But who do you like in these final couple of games? You got Michigan State, Butler. You've got West Virginia and Duke. 
you know, I usually root for the Big Ten team, and I usually you know would want Michigan State to win, but I'm really hoping that uh, that Butler does. So I'm going to be all over the board here, but I think West Virginia is the best team right now, aren't they? Out of the four remaining, West Virginia has looked the best so far in the, in the four tournament games, and then you got to consider how they were playing near the end of the season. It, and it's it's a team that's winning in ways that you don't normally win. How do you go a whole half in in a game and not make a two point field goal and still win? It's it's incredible. I mean, West Virginia shot forty three and a half percent from three against Kentucky, and they shot just over thirty three percent from three this season. And I mean that carried them. And defensively, they're great. I mean, listen, it's hard to argue, I guess, against West Virginia. So part of me, though, Joel, thinks that Duke just sort of—I know that they had sort of an easier road to the Final Four, and people are going to discredit them. But somehow, I feel like this group is sort of meant to be in terms of getting to the national championship. Yeah, uh, Shashevsky feels the same way. He talks about how these are, this is the closest Duke team that he's ever that he's ever coached, and. You know they and he, they do exactly what he asks of them, and that's really important. When you have a coach explaining something and telling a team to do something, if they do that, it, it works a lot. You know, so if you can follow the you know Shashevsky's recipe, you're going to end up winning a lot of games. And I don't their their first three games seemed pretty easy. They they cruised, but Baylor was legit. Wow, Baylor was. I, I saw them play one half, and it was like two months ago. Yes. I, I had no idea that they were that quick and that athletic. And they're gigantic. They, so, they, they, have, they have one of the best names in Tweety Carter as one of their guards. But, you know, what, you know the you other thing is, too. I thought you meant Darius Dunn. That's who I thought you were. Or Quincy Acey. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Lace Darius <laughs> Dunn is a great name, and Quincy Acey is a great I mean, they all have great names. But the thing is, I, you want to talk, I was talking earlier in the show, I don't know if you caught any of it, about how I think that Tom Izzo is just an incredible coach, and if they win the national championship, he's got to be put in the top three or four college basketball coaches who's ever coached. You here, I'll take it one step further. How about the coaching job of a guy who's already considered up there, Mike Shashevsky? Duke had to win against uh, against Baylor rather in Houston, where it was all Baylor fans. I don't think I've ever seen a more one-sided uh, regional game. Yeah. Besides, uh... I mean, really, I mean, I'm including when Arizona played Illinois at the All-State Arena back in, in 05. There were a lot of Arizona, there was more Arizona fans there than there were uh, Duke fans in, in Houston yesterday. Right. I mean, it's, it's you're right. It's like when Illinois beat Arizona in 05, that was the greatest comeback in a game I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But it did help that they were in Chicago, okay? Oh, without a doubt it helped. It helped yeah. a lot. But, okay, so so you think West Virginia is is the winner? They're They're cutting down the nets? Huggy Bear cutting down the nets. You see, that's this is right now. This is one of the craziest picks that I'm, I guess I'm going to have to go with West Virginia right now. You're going with so West Virginia. I'll, I'll probably be wrong. Duke will blow them out in in uh, the semifinal on Saturday. So, so you started to say this is going to be one of the craziest picks. I thought you were about to say Butler, and I wouldn't tell you that's so crazy. Well, yeah, they're in Indianapolis. Talking about a hometown. Yeah, favorite. there Not you only go. Are they in Indianapolis? Every single person who has a heart in the world, if they don't have a rooting interest, roots for the underdog, right? Yep, Just they're like, all rooting I'm going for to be Butler. rooting for Butler, yep. no matter what. Yep. So that place is, you think, I mean, it's going to be like a Baylor-type crowd, except it's going to be even a bigger stadium site. It's going to be 60,000 people screaming for, uh, for uh, the, what do you call it, the, was it Butler Bulldogs? What's their name? Yeah, Bulldogs, yep. Okay. They're going to be rooting so, for the Gordon Haywards, who has the broadest shoulders and the smallest peanut-sized head of all players in college basketball. There, You've got Shelvin Mack. You've got Matt Howard. 
You've got the little guy off the bench that everybody loves to hate because he hits threes and does nothing else, and Zach Hahn. They have a fun team, and they're gonna and they're gonna keep that game into the fifties because that's the type of defensive style they play. It's the let's disrupt everything and make this the lowest scoring college basketball game in history type game, but it works. Yeah, it does. I mean, these guys, they, their nickname should be the jerseys because and they wear people. Seriously, I mean, it's unbelievable how they how, yeah. how they play defense in people's face. Yeah, and. You know, there's usually themes every year, Jordan. Like you make, like the media makes them up, and the media makes up the themes. I, I guess the this is like the the ugly stepsister Final Four. All year long, Michigan State had issues. There was no way they were going to win the Big Ten. Purdue was better. Ohio State was better. Uh, they don't have the ability to score the basketball. Oh, they're in the Final Four. Yeah, Butler. Quite simply, what is Butler's reason? Oh, they're Cinderella. Yeah, they're a great team, but trust me, it's cute. They'll lose in the in the tournament. West Virginia. They have no inside game. They had trouble even handling the ball. I mean, this team commits more turnovers than any team I've ever seen. That's my problem. I don't want to pick them. But somehow they're in the Final Four. Then you have Duke. And what's Duke's problem every year? Oh, they're overrated. They're overrated. Well, guess what? All that stuff didn't matter. Duke wasn't overrated. West Virginia handled the basketball. Uh, Butler isn't Cinderella. And Michigan State's figuring out how to uh, score the basketball with offensive putbacks and all that stuff. So I guess the ugly stepsister sister final four is what I'm going to call it. Yeah, I mean, but you know what? It's it's so appropriate that you have storylines like this going into the Final Four. Big Doug, you hosting tomorrow? Yes, I am. All yes, right. Then uh, I will be listening. Well, actually, why don't you host tomorrow? Because I still have stuff to do. You want me to host tomorrow? Yes. All right. So, we see, look, we're making schedule changes while <laughs> we're on the air. This is the type of stuff you can get on Two Guys in the Mic. All right, well, I'm, that's I'm, what we do because we don't talk to each other off air. We, yeah. None of us like each other. So. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say that's completely true. No, I'm kidding. No, obviously, yeah, obviously, we all like each other off the air. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yes. You're doing a great job, Jordan. Oh. I do appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, Joel. All right, thanks for calling in. All right, that's Big Dog Joel Radwanski, the co-host of this very fine program, calling in. Not, of course, Glenn Robinson. He is the Big Dog Joel Radwanski. We've been talking college hoops. Want to transition to hockey next on Two Guys in a Mic. Jordan Burnfield filling in for the coach and the dog on TalkZone.com.
Lines in the Mic, TalkZone.com. Jordan Burnfield filling in for the coach and the dog. Although the dog has already put me on the schedule for tomorrow's show, and uh, he called in for 15 minutes. Thank you very much to the big dog for calling in. It's always fun to talk to the dog. I don't get to talk to the dog that much because on any particular day, you don't know what Joel is doing, where he is. You can honestly... If somebody wrote out a list of like 15 different things in different parts of the world, different activities, different things, you could take like a man in in Singapore and what he's doing on a particular day. You could take a, a farmer in Texas, what he's doing on a particular day. You could talk about an ice fisher in Canada, what he's doing on a particular day, and and a somebody working in a factory in Japan and what they're doing for the day. And if you put all four daily activities in front of me and told me that the big dog could be doing all four of them, I would believe you. I would completely believe you. Joel Radwanski has one of the most crazy, discombobulated lives of anybody, but he's a great guy. Love the big dog. But I've never met a guy who could be doing so many different things on so many different days it's just the man has so many life experiences that most of us probably wouldn't know a thing about. He's got such a, a rich life. It's incredible. 888-463-6748. We've talked a lot about the college basketball tournament, the Final Four, which is coming up uh, this Saturday. But I want to transition to hockey for a second. And, and I'm curious, Blackhawk fans, where you are in terms of level of panic. I'm definitely in the in the panic mode. Um, the, I, I said at the beginning of the show, there's kind of three ways you can look at the Blackhawks right now. You can A, say that the Blackhawks are going to be fine. You can have the kind of blind optimism saying, well, they still have the second most points in the Western Conference. They've played great for most of the year. They still have a ton of great forwards and great defensemen. They don't really have a great goalie, but they don't need to have a great goalie because as long as they have the good forwards and the good defensemen, they'll be fine. And I wouldn't tell you that you're wrong in saying that because I've I've tried to believe that for most of the season, but at this point now I've started to, maybe the Cub fan in me has taken over and I'm starting to move into more of another scenario, which could be B, that you now are cautiously optimistic but mostly thinking that, well, they're not playing well. You know teams that don't play well heading into the playoffs are, generally speaking, in trouble, and you've watched this team lose to Columbus back-to-back days, and you don't think they had a goalie. You never did, and now you're nervous. But you think they could do it, but you're probably thinking now that it's over or at least that the run that you're expecting isn't going to happen. Or your C like my father, who pretends to be a sports fan but really just likes persecuting himself, who says that they're done, I'm out, it's over, it was a fun year, this team is finished, they're cooked, they're done, and I'm now instead going to get ready for baseball season and be a masochist for the next 162 games while the Cubs disappoint me every single day. Or the White Sox, but I, I think I think White Sox fans have some level of optimism going in. I think most Cub fans this season are, are fairly jaded about what their team is going to be. So where do you fit in to this spectrum? 888-463-6748. The other story in hockey, which I saw that just came across the wire that I'm, I'm very interested in, 
is that the Stanley Cup, during the Stanley Cup playoffs, every year for the last three years, it's been announced who will be hosting and playing in what I think is one of the best events in sports every year. And that's the Winter Classic, which is coming up on January 1st. The Winter Classic this year has not yet been announced. But a story out of Pittsburgh is suggesting that the Pittsburgh Penguins are making a strong push to host next year's Winter Classic on January 1st. And that they would like the two biggest stars in the game, in Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin to get to meet in the Winter Classic on New Year's Day. So you'd have Capitals, Penguins, what is already a great rivalry in hockey, regardless of the fact that they're the two biggest stars in the game. But you'd have Crosby, Ovechkin in this game, and then Pittsburgh will have then been participating in the Winter Classic for two of the first four events. Now... Whether or not you like this idea, the other idea, the other suggestion, the other thought was that maybe it would be New York to get the Winter Classic next year and that the new Yankee Stadium would host a game featuring the Rangers and some other team. Would you rather see Crosby Ovechkin, would you rather see Pittsburgh in it twice in the first four years or would you rather see a city like New York get it? Because if you're the NHL, you want to make sure that the New York market is interested because with the Olympic Games and some of the hockey renaissances we've seen over the last couple of years, you need the top market in the country to be following hockey. That's a thought for you. 888-463-6748. I'll give you my opinion on it. But first, we have a hockey thought from JB. JB, you're on Two Guys in a Mic. How you doing, Jordan? Good. What's up? Good to hear the hockey talk. Uh, I have a question about the Hawks, how you feel about something that bothers me even more so than the way they're playing lately. Christopher Stieg was quoted last night after the game saying that, quote, everything is fine. Um, I don't know if he's just trying to rationalize their bad play and downplay it to make himself feel better, but if he really believes that, which I hope he doesn't, you know, maybe everything is fine if he plays for the Blue Jackets, but everything is not fine in any respect. And to me, I don't know if that's just a player talking or if that's how some of the team members feel. Maybe that's a bigger problem than the way they're actually playing. Well, I, I, let me say this. I don't think that – I think sometimes when a player makes a comment like that, I think all athletes thrive on confidence. They all want to be confident. And I know as a fan, you'd probably rather hear them say, well, we're playing like crap and we need to perform better, which some of them did say. I know right. Seabrook Andrew said Rand that said last that. night. Duncan Keith said that. Yeah, I, I heard Seabrook make that comment. But I think that when you hear this, hear something from a player like that, I, I sort of throw it out. I, I think yeah, but that. But he also said, we're skating well. The, the bounces didn't go our way. Now, if he thinks that they're losing because the bounces aren't going their way, then maybe that's a bigger problem. Well, I, I to be honest with you, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that a player like Christopher Stieg is trying to rationalize the fact that he might be a little panicked that they're not playing well. I don't put a lot of stock in that con in that okay. comment. I, I mean, just listen. I want to know your take on that because as a fan, 
I agree with you. You certainly don't want to hear players say that because we're not, you know, we're not stupid. At least some of us aren't stupid to know that everything is fine. Well, and, I, I just think that it's. I think that it's the case that I think that Christopher Stig is trying to rationalize the way they're playing. I think that they want to remain confident. I don't think that anything he says is totally ridiculous because even when a team isn't playing well, you still want to remain confident that you're going to win games. I agree, but there's a difference between confidence and saying and being someone like Derek Lee who would say, we don't worry about the last hundred years. Well, well maybe maybe you should worry about the last hundred years. No, but I, I don't I don't agree with that either because I mean, he's it, right. He didn't play when Cap Anson played, but history is relevant. Yeah, but I, I don't buy that either. And I think Derek Lee's right in saying that. If you're a player on the Cubs and you Think about the last hundred years every day. It's going to make you play worse. I mean, I think athletes need to, at least players that play for the Cubs, need to try to put that stuff away as much as they can and not think about it. Because we've seen in the playoffs that, for whatever reason, it looks like they've cracked under the pressure in series recently against the Dodgers and against the Marlins and you know, in these series recently in the playoffs. So I, I don't I don't buy that. I, now, listen, if, if you want the Cubs players to be thinking about the last hundred years – then no, I don't. You're, That's not then what you're, I'm then you're setting yourself up for them to fail. I think players should not downplay pressure and history. Well, what and, do you want them to say? We're feeling the pressure? We're terrified? Say nothing. I'd rather them say nothing. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think say that, they don't feel the pressure. I think when they, get, when they get asked that question, they got to give an answer. Pull a Milton Bradley and say, I don't want to talk to the media. Well, yeah, there's a guy who's insane. We could talk <laughs> no, about but that. No, but I was just curious about your take on Versteeg's comments because... All right. That's more concerning to me than actually the way they're playing. All right. Well, thank you for the call. Thanks, Jordan. Bye. 888-463-6748. Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes players make comments, and I don't know that they really mean exactly what they're saying. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that they're lying, but I think sometimes players need to say things to rationalize the way they're playing to make themselves feel better. Do I think Chris Versteeg thinks, honestly, that the team is fine and that they're really confident? No, but my guess is that when he made that comment, he's feeling a little pressure right now. He's feeling a little panicked right now, and he's saying that because he doesn't want his team to go under, just like we don't, as fans, don't want to see his team go under. And he's trying to make himself feel a little better. He's trying to talk himself up so that maybe, he's a guy that plays with confidence. He needs confidence to thrive. And, and, and what he's saying is something that I think is not totally ridiculous because he's trying to make himself feel confident as his team moves forward. 888-463-6748. But before the call, I started to get into this Crosby-Ovechkin thing. My thought on Pittsburgh hosting the Winter Classic is this. I don't think it's a bad idea. Obviously, it would be great for the league to market the biggest rivalry in the game right now because rivalries are what makes sports fun. And if you had Pittsburgh and Washington, two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, who are both great teams with the two best players in the league on them who don't like each other against each other. That is a delicious storyline of a rivalry. But if you're the NHL, you're trying to grow the game more. You're trying to bring it back from the depths of hell where it went after the lockout in 2004. Part of me thinks you've already got Pittsburgh. You've already got Washington. Why not Capture New York. Now, some people will say to me, New York gets everything, I hate New York, blah, 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 blah. But hockey has seen a little bit of a renaissance in some of the major cities. 
The Phoenix Coyotes were nearly going to move and were trying to be sold because of how bad they were and how no one was showing up. All of a sudden, the Phoenix Coyotes are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and people in the area are going to hockey games in the desert. Chicago, for those of you who live here, obviously we know the Renaissance of the Blackhawks franchise, which was probably the biggest disgrace in sports three years ago, and now they're one of the most thriving hockey franchises and one of the most enormously successful businesses in a depressed economy. We're seeing in some of these other cities, attendance is up, ratings are up, there's interest in the game. You just came off in Olympic Games where the national media was all over how great the hockey was. If I'm Gary Bettman, I might be saying to myself right now, we need to cultivate the biggest media markets and get those teams interested as much as possible right now. Maybe we have to have the game in New York at Yankee Stadium so that we can get 55,000 New Yorkers jump-started with interest in hockey again. A good friend of mine covers the New York Rangers in New York, and he told me how right now some of their games aren't even on radio because they get bumped for other events. I mean, think about that. New York has had a lot of problems with their hockey team. The Rangers have struggled. They have failed to live up to expectations. Right now, they are four points out of the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, so if they don't make the playoffs, hockey interest is going to go even lower in that city. It might be worth it, especially, too, with the Islanders stinking as well, that New York puts a hockey game there to recreate interest. If you want to have Ovechkin in it because you want the ratings, fine. Have Washington play New York. You'd have Ovechkin against New York. To me, that might make more sense. Now, part of this article also suggests that now Yankee Stadium has booked a college football bowl game for January 1st, which would then now give a convenient convenient excuse to the Winter Classic to not have the game at Yankee Stadium next year. But if it's not next year, it's got to be the year after. To me, it's a slam dunk. You've already had Pittsburgh in the Winter Classic. Pittsburgh is already a crazed hockey market. Even though it is a market where hockey is extremely popular, you've got Pittsburgh. You need New York. You need other big cities in your sport to have interest in the game. You had it in Chicago, you had it in Boston, you had it at the two best venues you could possibly have the game at, at Wrigley Field and Fenway Park. Now you need it in New York. I don't want to sound like that big market media guy because I'm all for the underdog for the most part, but it's a fact. 888-463-6748. Jordan Burnfield filling in for Coach and the Big Dog here on Two Guys and a Mic few more minutes here on the show. If you want to call, you got to do it now to jump in. But I would love to know what people think of this because maybe it's unpopular to suggest New York, but I just think it has to be done that way. My last final thought before we get out of here, is there a bigger clown in the universe than Milton Bradley? Caller JB brought it up a couple minutes ago. 
Yesterday, the Cubs played the Mariners in some spring training game, and the media guys wanted up to Milton Bradley. They wanted to talk to him, and he goes, I'm not talking to you. You guys ran me out of town never again. Um, We didn't run you out of town, Milton. You're insane. How's that? You are insane. You stunk. You hated everybody. You ripped everybody. You didn't pay your bills at the apartment that you deserted in Chicago. You are a clown. And Seattle, good luck with this buffoon. I'd be happy to watch Carlos Silva get bombed instead of having that jerk, that psychotic loser that is Milton Bradley anywhere near my ball club. If nothing else, Cub fans, this season we don't have to deal with that sorry lunatic anymore. And I'm not being too harsh. Read any comment made by this man and you will feel the same way. Thank you so much, as always, to the excellent producer that is David Olson. Tomorrow, I apparently am coming back. So I will talk to you all again tomorrow. I believe Coach is back tomorrow, right? Coach will be back in this fine chair. And so we will see what Coach thinks about the tournament. He is a tournament enthusiast just like I am. But uh, thanks for having me in the last couple of days. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. My name is Jordan Burnfield. This is two guys to Mike, two guys and a mic. I'll talk to you tomorrow on talkzone.com. See ya.